Texas Business Minds, a presentation of the Texas Business Journals. Brought to you by Texas Mutual Insurance Company, a workers' comp provider committed to helping companies build a stronger, safer Texas. In this episode, Managing Editor Ed Arnold welcomes one of our Best Places to Work winners, where a flexible work environment fosters success and children and grandchildren are welcome in the workplace. We are here with Bethany Babcock of Foresight Commercial Real Estate. Bethany is a really, really well-loved and well-respected here at the Business Journal and around the commercial real estate community. And yesterday, our Best Places to Work Awards, her company participating for the very first time took home the small company number one spot. So we are so happy to have you with us today, Bethany. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. I'm so honored. No, no problem at all. We are. So for folks not in San Antonio that might not be aware of you and aware of Foresight, why don't you tell us a little bit about your background and you know, where you come from and, and how the company got started? Sure. I grew up overseas and then moved to uh, the United States when I was 18 and landed my first job in commercial real estate at, at the wise age of 18, not having a clue what anything about commercial real estate was, um, but managed to work my way up in a family office there while also going to school full time at night. And so I got a little bit of a head start in the industry, and that was really wonderful. And I see now how incredibly advantageous that was. And then I uh, worked in investment sales for a large publicly traded firm for about six years, and then um, decided to launch Foresight in 2014. And we've been growing ever since. And so we do leasing, management, and investment sales. How big a staff are you got now? We're a fairly small group, but uh, there's 23 of us right now. Actually, 24 as of today. Well, there you go. And, and that's actually a good thing to talk about, too. We've had, you know, folks have been talking about the struggles to hire and find good talent. And I know that being a best places to work is kind of part of that and helping you draw folks to you and rewarding the folks that have joined you. But how has that process been finding new folks to join a growing company? You know, I'm definitely empathetic to that, those concerns because I see it right. All of our we work a lot with retail. And you see it and you hear it. And we've been really fortunate. And I think if anything, it makes me more grateful for the people that we have now um, because it's as if we have our own internal recruiting team. So most of the people that we hire come from other employees at our company saying, you know what, we really need to go after this person. And so we just build relationships. And sometimes we don't have a position with them yet, for them yet. And so it'll really just be, let's go to lunch. Let's develop a relationship. And then a couple of years from now, they'll be like, yeah, when you guys are ready, you know, and then it just clicks into place. And so a lot of times we've hired before we have a need to, uh, you know, but (laughs) we know when a new assignment comes on or when a new project or when we have needs, we already know who we're going to bring on. And that has been really a huge advantage for us. It's made the process a lot smoother, but it's also really reduced turnover because these are proven people that we've worked with before in the industry. So yeah, it's been, we've been doing pretty good on the recruiting side of it, but I won't say that it's not without its challenges. I know that there is, it's a hugely competitive environment. No one can oh, deny for that. Sure. For sure. I mean, everyone's scrapping for talent out there in the market. But part of the key that I've heard from business owners say is exactly what you just outlined, which is forming a relationship and forming relationships out in the community where in a lot of ways, the recruiting does itself because you've connected already. You've connected to people around and you've sort of presented yourself to them already. Like you said, you'd rather hire some talent, even if you weren't certain what you're going to do with them because they're so talented. You know that, that you want to have them in the house, right? Exactly. Yeah. So it's it's yeah. been really fun to be able to do that, especially if it's someone that you know that's proven you're willing to take a risk on them. Sure. Absolutely. Well, it's interesting that you mentioned retail, right? Because I think retail is one of the interesting commercial sectors to talk about, in fact, is, you know, we're in, I think a lot of people expect 
that retail has been declining. But uh, the way I've seen it, it has not. And people are looking for retail space at an incredibly high rate. And what have you seen? Yeah, our occupancy is at an all-time high um, in the past even 20 years. Our development, you know, is, is it's growing. Uh, there, People are trying to catch up with the demand. So you're seeing development at an all-time high. Even with all of the headwinds the industry is facing, you're still seeing development occur. Um, I do think that's going to start slowing down here in the next few months as it gets more challenging to get the capital at a reasonable cost of debt. But the demand is there and it's continuing to grow. So you hear a lot of talk about retail and oh, Amazon mm-hmm. and all of this stuff. But the reality is services and certain things just don't happen online. Experiences and services, you're, you're always going to be able to, to need a, to go in person. Sure. I think that's really the key is how you said there is that it isn't that retail is disappearing. It's that what is in demand is different and the experience of what is expected in retail is significantly different. Yeah, and I think a lot of retail, if people look at it, you can, a lot of the concern that people have um, is in the hard goods and the things that you can order off of Amazon. A lot of those things we didn't really buy from anyone other than a big box store before, right? So the things that you're buying off of Amazon are typically something you'd be buying from a big box store. So you're not really seeing that impact the smaller businesses quite to the same degree. Um, And a lot of times you're seeing these little small businesses that got started online, which is like this great little incubator, right? Um, For them to be able to create a lot of them are seeing the value in having a physical location. So you start to see the reverse actually happen. Not that physical locations are going online, but you're seeing online retailers coming in person because they see that, uh, that they call it the halo effect. Right, right. But at the same token, as you're saying, the demand is so high that we're seeing a really high spike in some cases, depending on the neighborhood and area, in, in rent rates, right? The, yeah. the demand is such that it's driving up the rent rates and it's harder for some of those smaller businesses to find good space. What's the, you know, if we're forecasting out a year or so, a year and a half, how do you see the the supply demand balance going maybe here in San Antonio in general? Yeah, that's a good point. And I think it's important to know why rents are increasing, right? And that's one is land costs and the other is construction costs. And those shot up like crazy during COVID. And, um, and being able to get the product that they needed in order to be able to finish these builds has is, is been a challenge. Um, so all of that factors in and creates an environment of, of increasing rents. But if you look at us from a national scale, you always hear brokers defend rents. They'll always say, well, nationally, nationally, right. San Antonio is not that bad compared right. to these other markets. And, you know, yeah, a lot of that is broker talk. We just like to defend the projects we're working on. But it is also true, right? And national retailers know that. So the national retailers and the regional chains, they look at it and they're like, it's still a good value, right? The sales can still support those rents. And that's really in retail how rents are determined. It's not really anything else except potential sales. So as long as the potential sales are there, they can justify the rents. And retailers are betting that they can. That's why they're expanding. The small mom and pops have a hard time realizing, can I make this leap? I haven't seen rents like this in a long, long time. Not just that, but their build-out costs to be able to finish out their spaces have doubled. And it's extremely difficult. And then pair that with property taxes, which is, you know, in in retail, we pay base rent plus triple nets. Most of our triple net is property taxes. And I think a lot of people don't always realize that that is borne by the small businesses, right? And so that is a huge percentage of their occupancy costs as well. So they have a definitely, they're definitely facing some headwinds. No, for sure. Well, there's, but as long as demand exists, there's going to be a race to try to meet it, right? So you've seen builders coming in all over the place, working in all corners of San Antonio, even parts of the city that have not traditionally seen a lot of retail development of suddenly getting more retail development on the south side, particularly, but then 
the far, far west side, which was not a, a hot spot, say, five, six, seven years ago, is now just constantly breaking over there. It's crazy. What's nice now is I think our industry has gotten better at being able to read and interpret data and respond to it. And, you know, as I was mentioning, rents are determined primarily in retail by the potential sales. And so sales, how are those determined? It's discretionary income times households. And so a lot of times we used to look at household income, right? And that's how we would determine whether or not that was a project. But the industry's gotten smarter. And we now know it really has very little to do with household income. It has a lot more to do with density times discretionary income. And so you can look at areas a little bit differently and the industry has. And so that makes areas like the far west side of San Antonio, which actually the household income there is great, but or maybe in the far south side of San Antonio, or maybe the household income isn't amazing, it's not just average, but the density is intense. You'll notice that some of the best performing retailers in San Antonio sometimes are on the south side of San Antonio. And so when you look at rents, you can't just base it off of household income. You're looking and you're like, okay, that area is a high, high sales area. And, and that's where you start to see development. Look at city base, for example, that area as well is just booming. Density is, you know, the fact that that has become coupled in to the calculation as opposed to just how much money the average family has in this area. It's how dense is the population? How much is the demand drawing to that area? That's fascinating that it's gotten that much more sophisticated. What other sort of new metrics are you seeing when it comes to evaluating properties now? That's a great question. I'm not sure even that one is a new one. I think it just new? took a little while. I think that one just took a little while for some retailers on the national side to oh, understand. Nice. Developers knew it, right? Because they had a close gotcha. contact with their local small businesses. They could hear it. How are you doing? How are you performing? They got to hear those conversations. National retailers, uh, when you look at their demo sheets that they would give out at the conferences, it always listed household income. You're like, ah, you're missing something there, right? And so a lot of times that disconnect was with the national retailers. I think they're catching on now and they're yeah. adjusting their expectations. And so now you're seeing national retailers go in areas where they normally wouldn't have. So the developers, I think, knew it, but maybe not the not the national tenants. That's fascinating because it does, it, you know, I, I've spent a fair amount of time recently going between City Base and Port San Antonio and, and hanging out in those growth areas and checking things out and going to events down there. And it's fascinating to have watched it because you mentioned City Base is a, is, is a great example it, is that Brooks, uh, for those that aren't local or listening, that is a former military base on the southeast side of San Antonio that's been really redeveloped into sort of a, a live, work, play environment. That's what they're working toward down there. And the strength of retail has been one of the driving factors for them down there is how well they've been able to bring in both, say, local restaurateurs as well as national retailers and can create sort of a, a feeling of place in a relatively short period of time. And retail is a really important key for that. Yeah, absolutely. I, I love going down there and kind of seeing and understanding that market. I find it really fascinating. Foresight Commercial Real Estate founder and managing broker Bethany Babcock joining us. In our next segment, she shares one of her favorite things when Texas Business Minds continues. In Texas business, success doesn't happen by accident. But with Texas Mutual Insurance Company as your workers' compensation partner, business is safer, stronger, better. Learn more at texasmutual.com slash better. You know, retail in a lot of ways might be not thought about as clearly when you're dealing with city planning. You know, it's not maybe not, it's sort of shunted a little bit off to the side, but it really is key to making people feel a sense of place in those environments. You know, the Absolutely. retailers that choose to be in Pearl, the retailers that choose to be on the west side, the, tree, the retailers that choose to be in Stone Oak. When you're working with someone, is that kind of local color 
part of what you help show them around as you're trying to pick sites? Is that part of what you're doing? Yeah, and that's one of the fa- my favorite parts, right? That's that's the most fun. So it's it's one thing to just say, okay, give me your demos, but really, okay, I want to understand your menu. Who are your favorite customers? Who do you get really excited when they come visit your store? What time of the day do you see yourself getting the busiest? And tell me about your ideal clientele. What are they doing at your restaurant? Are they celebrating a birthday? Are they having a business meeting? Uh, where are you involved? And just understanding that to be able to help them do site selection is a whole lot of fun. Yeah. Yeah. I would imagine that that's a lot more fun than trying to figure out what your median incomes and density rates are. It was more about like, who's your customer? Who are you hoping to get in here and how do we get you close to them? Right. Yeah. And you asked about new tools and there are some new tools that the industry is using. Cell phone data is one of them. Right. And so that's become much more accessible to a lot of people now. And it's a lot easier for retailers to be able to look at and understand who their customer is and not just who their customer is, but where are they coming from? And then where are they going after they visit us? And okay, so if this location is performing really well, what do they have in common with this location? And being able to compare their own locations to understand a little bit better about where they should open up their new location. So that that's a new tool that's come out probably in the past you know, five or six years and becoming more commonplace. But we enjoy it. And it's a whole lot of fun to For dig sure. into that data. For sure. I think it's interesting for users to know that your, you know, your Instagram feed, your social media feed is not just feeding the ads on the app back to you, but it's making informed decisions about where someone may decide to build a, a location or plant a store. I mean, that, that information is similar now. Yeah, it is. And, and kind of on that same token, we will use social media sometimes uh, when we're working on a development to ask the residents around us, what do you want to see? You know, and so that's been kind of something that's kind of fun too, because the residents know what they want, right? And they're yeah. able to tell us, okay, we don't have a good taco place. That's never going to happen here in San Antonio, but no, say we, they don't, we don't have a good taco place within five miles. <laughs> We've got 15, but you know what I'm saying. And, and they're I able to you. make those recommendations. We can go out and, okay, well, who's your favorite one, you know, and then go out and find them. And that's really fun. You know, sometimes you'll get some off the wall suggestions. Everybody's like, we want a Costco. And you're like, well, that's a one acre site. So that would be nice, but... Right. Everybody wants a Trader Joe's too, right? Everyone wants a Trader Trader Joe's. Joe's. (laughs) I don't like just one grocery trip a week. I need two. So we got to get a Trader Joe's (laughs) in my neighborhood because I need a second grocery trip that I've got to make. That or a park, you know? We don't want anything. We want a park. Okay, well, that's... Unfortunately, we can't always do that. I was going to say, we're the wrong department for parks. But that's that's an important element too. I I would imagine that retailers are attuned to that and and developers are attuned to that as well. That, you know, well-developed and well-made city park creates a a sense of place that retailers can connect to in the surrounding areas, right? Is that not something that they pay attention to? Absolutely. Yeah. One of the projects that I'm working on right now, which is a Scala, it's at 151 and Military. Uh, that kind of has gone through a transition, right? Because a lot of things have changed. You know, originally we were just, we were looking at having a theater and it's going to be your kind of traditional retail. Things have changed now um, in terms of, of theater. So now we're going to have to rethink the whole thing. And as we were just having a meeting about it, it was really exactly as you described, creating a sense of place and a place where people want to gather and spend time together. And I think if you can create that, everything else just starts to click into place. Well, and jumping back then, as we talked about from creating a place, a sense of place, you all have clearly done that in foresight, right? That's part of the, that's part of what as is rewarded about the best places to work. We had a wonderful time and it was great to, to have you be the first year participant and win. So I was just curious, what did you feel like were the keys to keeping your workplace happy? What, what have been the most important things, at least for you, uh, about keeping your workplace the, the kind of place that makes people happy to kind of keep coming to work every day. 
You know, it's a good question. This has been a really good opportunity for us to reflect, right? Because I think a lot of this just came naturally. It wasn't necessarily part of a strategy. The company was started, you know, when I needed a place to work and be a mom and to be able to find a way to find this balance. And it was hard and it was stressful. And you know what? It didn't get any easier, but realized if you can create some flexibility at work and have a culture of understanding, then I could be more successful. Well, that's just kind of grown and it turned out I'm not the only one. Turned out there was a lot of people facing those same challenges. So as we grew the company, that was always in mind that, okay, yes, there's the traditional benefits and, you know, you can't buy yourself a culture. You can't put that as a dollar line item and then make sure that, you know, okay, we got a great culture, right? It's really just about creating something that meets the needs of everyone around you. And it turns out the needs of a lot of people around us was just flexibility and respect and feeling like they could do something and and be productive, but also not neglect their hobbies or their family, you know, and being able to have that balance. And no, we, we don't just tolerate your family or your hobbies. We <laughs> encourage them and we love them and uh, we want to help. And so kind of we all have our back, right? Each other's back. So we know, all right, today's my day. I'm just going to hustle knowing that a few days from now, I might need to be a little bit of a slacker <laughs> and who's got, you know, and then we're going to just cover each other and we're going to make it work because we got little people and, and things that depend on us. And so I think that's really what it comes down to in terms of our culture. There's, you know, all the traditional benefits that I think are fun and activities and stuff, but really it comes down to the people. Well, and, and frankly, it always comes down to the people, whether you're dealing with in the office or out of the office, right? It's all about those interpersonal relationships. That's always good to remind people. Thanks to Foresight Commercial Real Estate founder and managing broker, Bethany Babcock, for joining us. And thank you for downloading Texas Business Minds, presented by the Texas Business Journals and brought to you by Texas Mutual Insurance Company a workers' comp provider committed to helping companies build a stronger, safer Texas.